You're listening to the Bethel Community Church Podcast. Our podcast normally showcases our weekly sermons here in Chicago at 7601 West Foster. Now, podcasts are great, but they do not replace the care and community you receive from the local church or from your local pastor. So we encourage you to come, join our community, or contact us to help you find a community in your area. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you listen. Enjoy. Church, I am glad to be with you this morning. My name is Leonard Tavernelli, and I'm glad to bring you God's Word this morning. And so, uh, it is a joy to be with you, and I'd invite you, uh, if you have your copy of the Scriptures, to turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at Ephesians, primarily chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. And so you can either turn there or you can pull up your app and scroll there. Um, If you don't have your copy of the scriptures, it will be on the screen this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer briefly as we come to his word. Father, thank you that you have spoken to us. Lord, thank you that you have given us light in the darkness. And Lord, thank you that you are God, are our very glory. Thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus, and as we look now in your word, as I prepare to proclaim it, I pray, Lord, speak through me by the power of your Spirit to open our eyes to behold your Son, Jesus, and to delight in him and to see what he is doing. Thank you that we could take the opportunity to be reminded that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead, and that that is where our hope is found. And so now as we look into your word and see your plans for your body, thank you that Christ was, Christ's body was broken so that we might be one, and his blood shed so that we might be reconciled to you. We entrust this work to you and ask it in the name of, the, uh, in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. So thank you, Will, this morning for leading us in the time of communion. Thank you, Tommy and uh, the praise team for leading us and singing God's praises. And and indeed, uh, I pray that that God would turn our eyes upon Jesus as as we saw earlier. Uh, A a few years ago, one of my sons played t-ball. And it wasn't a very competitive league at all. In fact, uh, it wasn't competitive at all. They all had to bat off the tee. Nobody could get out. And so every child got to bat during every inning, and they'd all get to run the bases and have a good time. And so though it wasn't competitive, it was still a lot of fun to get to watch them all. But one team in particular caught my attention Uh, They were probably a little bit on the younger side, maybe uh, five-year-olds, and they were hilarious. Uh, All of these children, when they were running around the bases, they would slide or dive into each base. I am so thankful our son wasn't on that team because they were filthy after the game, and I didn't want to be the one doing their laundry, and I didn't want my wife to have to either. Well, on defense, they were even better. 
every time that the ball was hit, so all the kids who were on the infield, which was more than normal, they would all converge on the ball together, this group of five, six, seven, uh, five-year-olds, some of them diving for the ball, some of them just running up, trying to grab it. Finally, one of them would pick it up, and the coach would be yelling at them, throw it over to first base. Obviously, way too late. Finally, one of them would throw it in the general direction of first base. And though they weren't much of a team, they sure played with enthusiasm. With kids, something like that's cute. It's funny. When you get up into high school or college or or even into the pros, that wouldn't be funny or cute at all. In fact, I remember when I was playing high school baseball, one of the teams we were playing against, the two of them, the center fielder and the second baseman, went after a ball at the same time, neither called each other off. And they collided and injured one another. And we had to stop playing for about 15 minutes while they got off the field. Unfortunately, churches sometimes can do just that. We may collide into one another. We may be doing our own thing, playing our own game. Injuries result. Division results in the church. But God designed the church to be a team. As Paul says, we are the body of Christ. And as we come together, diverse as we are, as we come together in unity, Jesus Christ, the risen and ascended Lord of the church, delights to do great things through his people. So today, as I mentioned, we are going to look at Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16. And we're going to see here not everything that Paul has to say about the church, but some very important things. We're going to not read everything that the Bible has to say about how the church functions, but we'll see some very important truths about how the church is to function in unity. And so as you consider me as a pastoral candidate this morning, my hope is that you'll get a vision, a snapshot of how I understand the primary role of the pastors, of the leaders of the church, and also your role as the body of Christ. You see, if we're a team, Jesus expects nobody to be sitting in the stands or on the bench. He wants us all involved, but he wants us working together. Not running into one another. He wants us to function together in such a way that he accomplishes his purposes so that he gets all the glory. So this message will primarily be for the church, primarily for those who are trusting in Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you were just invited by somebody. You came this morning. You don't personally know Jesus, what I hope is as we go through this, you will get a picture of what the church is meant to be, what Christ 
desires for his church. And I hope that you will say, I want to be a part of that. But even more, I hope that you get a picture of how gracious and amazing Jesus Christ truly is and that you will be drawn to the Savior himself. And so let's begin by looking at Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 6 to get a little bit of the context before we look at verses 7 through 16. The Apostle Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul calls us to unity. That is what God calls us to. And to have that unity, we have to walk in a worthy manner, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit that we already have in Christ, growing into it. And Mike spoke about this last Sunday as he was looking at Philippians. The way we do that is we set aside our own interests, we humble ourselves, and we work together. Bearing with one another patiently. Well, I only get one sermon in Ephesians. And so to, to bring you up to speed a little bit, because we're in the jumping right into the middle of the letter. As I mentioned, this is written by the Apostle Paul, probably when he was in prison in Rome, so the early 60s AD. And he knew the church of Ephesus quite well. Because as Acts 19 and 20 records, Paul had spent substantial time with this church. But this is probably a circular letter meant not just for the church of Ephesus, but they would pass it on then to others who were in Asia Minor around them. And so Paul begins by reminding them who they are. Reminds us in that way who we are. Who are you, church? You are the chosen of God, adopted children of God in Christ. He has forgiven you and reconciled you to himself and sealed you with his spirit. That is who you are. Why? Because in Christ, God is accomplishing his eternal plans. He is bringing them all together in Christ. The church of Ephesus needed to be reminded of this, and so do we. We are all those who once were, if you're trusting in Christ, you were once dead in your sins, but God, because of his great mercy toward you, because of the love with which he loved you, made you alive together with Christ, so that in the ages to come, he might show you the riches of his grace. Well, God has brought together a unique, diverse group of peoples. And that was true of the church in Ephesus. The church of Ephesus was probably a multicultural church because they were in a multicultural city. And so they at least had Jews and Gentiles meeting together. 
But as Paul makes clear, Jesus breaks down those dividing walls to make people one body. Makes us one new man in Christ. You see, in the church, there aren't any second-class citizens. We are one in Christ. By the grace of God, we are all equal in Christ. This is important because God has a plan for the church. Ephesians 3, verses 10 and 11, Paul tells us that God's plan is so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, you may not have realized it this morning when you gathered But in the church, God is revealing his cosmic plans and purposes for all of humanity, showing not not just the world, but showing angelic beings, showing demonic beings what it is for Christ to rule and what it will be like for Christ to rule forever. The church is to be a glimpse of that in our life as the body of Christ. This is an important witness to the world. You see, the the world around us in no way can have both diversity and unity. They either demand uniformity or break us off and fracture us into special interest groups. This is why it's so important, as Paul says, to maintain the unity of the church. But unity is not... Uniformity. You see, the church isn't to be like a bunch of five or six-year-olds who are playing t-ball, unable to be a team at that point, just everybody rushing together at the same time, trying to do the same thing, or you know, some people doing their own thing. I mean, if you've ever watched a t-ball game, there's that kid. Who's out in the outfield and he's picking dandelions or or the little girl who's on the infield and the ball may actually come to her and she's staring up at the clouds. She's not on any sort of purpose or mission. You know, finally her coach may yell, hey, get your head in the game. The church isn't to be like that. And so we're to have true unity, but true unity actually requires a diversity of functions under the same mission. So my call to you this morning, church, from this passage is that because Jesus has uniquely gifted each of us, let's serve together as the body of Christ to build up the church to maturity in Christ. If you call me as your pastor, that is my desire is that we would work together serving for a purpose. As Paul says here, to build up the church to maturity in Christ. So how does Jesus accomplish that? Well, Paul gives us three truths in our text. First in verses 7 through 10, I invite you to look there with me. 
Jesus gives each of us gifts for his purposes. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So if you are following Christ this morning, you're a disciple. You've been gifted. You, know, you, you may know your gifting, you may not yet. But as you consider it, recognize grace was given to each one of us. You've been gifted by Christ. Not because of anything that any of us have done. You, your gifting, your calling isn't because of something that you did better than somebody else or somebody's gifting, you know, because they did something better. No, it's all a gift of grace, as Paul says. It's according to the measure of Christ's gift. When Paul talks about the grace of God here, he, he's not talking about the saving grace of God. He, he spoke about that earlier in the letter. Rather, he's talking about the grace of God that equips us, empowers each of us to serve, to minister to others. Peter calls it in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, he says we're to be stewards of the varied grace of God. See, God gifts each of us uniquely. You are unique. You're not like anybody else in this room, anybody else in the body of Christ worldwide, anybody else who's ever lived. You know, we, we live in the Midwest, and we know snowstorms. We didn't get one, thank God for that, this past week. I'm very thankful for that. But we know what it is to get a lot of snow. Well, I was curious, so I looked online, because they, all, they always say, you know, each snowflake that's ever existed is unique. It's not like any other snowflake that's ever existed. And I thought, wow, that, that's pretty incredible. Well, how many snowflakes do you suppose would be in you know, about five inches of snow if it fell on Chicago? Millions? Billions? It's not even trillions not quadrillions. They say it's quintillions. Each of those snowflakes is unique, displaying the infinite creativity of our God. And so with each of us, God is displaying for his own glory, his infinite creativity, making us diverse for his purposes. And so he gifts us, as we're told, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Well, what is Christ's gift? Ultimately, it's himself. He gives us his spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And the same spirit apportions to each one as he wills. And he does so all for the common good of the church. 
And so your gifting comes from the ascended Lord. And to, to prove what he's saying, Paul quotes in verse 8 from Psalm 68, verse 18. You see, just as God in the Exodus defeated Israel's enemies and led them victoriously into the land, And just as when God was ascending to Jerusalem, God was giving gifts to his people, the gifts that the psalmist probably has in mind are the Levites, who God gave as a gift to Aaron so that they might serve with him, as Numbers 8 records. So it is Jesus, who is the victorious son of God, gives gifts to his people to serve his purposes in the world, and for the good of the church. Ultimately, as we see, so he is organizing and ordering everything, as verse 10 says, so that he might fill all things, so that Jesus' sovereign reign may go to the ends of the earth. And so as you think of the person sitting next to you, the people sitting in front of you, think of the the largesse, think of the generosity of our Savior who not only gave us the grace of saving us, but he graciously gifted each of us. He gifted you, he gifted the person sitting next to you, and the person sitting on the other side of the room. As Paul says, verse 9, in saying he ascended, it means that he first descended. What he means by that is Jesus' incarnation. He became Flesh, the Son of God, became man, lived among us. He went to the cross to die for our sins, shed his own blood so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to God, and then was in the tomb, and then three days later rose from the dead and ascended back to the Father. See, Paul takes us to the gospel in talking about how Christ has gifted us for a reason. Because it's easy when we think of diversity to begin to forget the unity that we have. The gospel is what maintains that unity. You see, maybe you're tempted to doubt that God's even gifted you, or maybe you're tempted thinking, you know what, I don't even want to use the gifting that I've received because I don't want to minister to others because you do so, ministry is always messy. Or maybe you're tempted to be jealous or envious of somebody in the way that God has gifted and called them. But this is where you need to be reminded that it is none other than your Savior who died for you, who has gifted you and uniquely called you and has a unique purpose for you in His church. You need to be reminded that we're all on the same level by the grace of God. You need to be reminded that the people around you aren't your competitors. They're your teammates. This past Thursday, I got to go to Awana. Got to see things happening. They're differing individuals serving with differing gifts in differing ways. Some of them you're checking the students in, some of them leading uh, the kids, some of them teaching the kids, some of them doing games with the kids. And they're each fulfilling their own unique role. And in fact, some of them are fulfilling that role with younger kids, some with, with 
older girls, older boys, some of them you know, serving in various ways, even just people greeting guests as they were coming. All of this is essential. We see in Awana really a microcosm of what the body of Christ is to look like. Jesus designed the church this way because it's a display of his glory. And so maybe you're here this morning again, and I said you know, earlier, maybe you don't yet know Jesus. I'm not calling you this morning to jump right in and get involved. No, what I would call you to do is come to the Savior. You see, it's not about what you could ever do for God. It's about what God has done for you in Christ. That Jesus came and died on the cross so that your sins can be forgiven and you can be reconciled to God. It's Christ who's risen and ascended so that you can have eternal life with God. If you haven't yet come to know the Savior this morning, right now that's where you begin. Come to Christ and put your trust in Him. And yes, you likewise will be gifted for His purposes because Jesus gives each of us gifts for His purpose. And then in verses 11 through 14, we see our second truth that Jesus gives leaders to equip every disciple for ministry. Notice verse 11, we'll, we'll slowly walk through this. And he that is Jesus, the ascended Lord, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why? What's his purpose? To equip the saints... For the work of ministry. See, Jesus' purpose for leaders is to equip every disciple for ministry. We see here the incredible wisdom of our Savior, his, his great creativity in the church. He, he gave some as apostles and teachers, and looking back at chapter 2, verse 20, we find out that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. They're the foundations because they've given us the word of God. They're the ones who have passed on the gospel, the faith, once for all delivered to the saints, comes from them. He gave evangelists, those who are particularly gifted in Proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And he also gave the pastor teachers, and I believe this is one role, one office, not two, because in Greek it's, it has one article for both words. And so these are the pastor teachers or the shepherd teachers. And again, the role of these leaders isn't to do all the ministry. It's not, you know, for the, the elders, the staff to do everything. No, the role of the leaders is to equip the entire body for the work of ministry. To equip all the saints. And we don't want to be anachronistic and reading back our meaning of saint into the text. I mean, it, I, I try not to do this, but maybe you're... Like me, you find yourself slipping up sometimes, and I'll say, oh, yeah, she's a saint. You'll, you'll really like her, meaning something like, oh, she's really nice. Or, yeah, he's a saint. He's a great guy. He'll help you whatever you need. That's not the way that Paul's using that word here. That's not the way the, the New Testament uses the word saint. A saint is one who is set apart unto God, one who is sanctified. And so 
If you are here and you've been born again, you're trusting in Jesus, by the grace of God, you are a saint. And so it's the role of the leaders of the church to help equip you for how God wants to use you. We equip you sharing good doctrine with you, helping to teach you to trust God, to repent of sin, helping you with the you know, to practice the spiritual disciplines like studying the Bible and praying, how to effectively serve, uh, how to evangelize, how to uh, develop Christian character and, and follow Jesus in all of life, how to understand the culture around us. I mean, we live in a changing culture. It's in the church that we ought to be taught how to engage the culture with the truth. It's the leaders who unite us for one mission and purpose. Well, how do the leaders then equip the saints for the work of ministry? It's through the Word of God. It's all by God's Word. You see, the Word of God is sufficient to equip the people of God for the works of God. We do it through preaching and teaching and counseling and mentoring, coaching. All in the word of God is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching and for reproof and correction and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. That comes from the, the, the same root word that we see here in Ephesians 4 verse 12. It's the word of God that equips you for what God wants to do through you. Well, Then we notice in verses 12 through 14 Jesus' purpose for the members of the church, for, for all disciples. It's to serve to build up the body unto maturity. Verse 12, again, the leaders are given by Christ to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, that, that is doctrinal understanding, and to the knowledge of the Son of God, that, that is a personal relationship, growing in that relationship with Jesus, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't gotten there yet. And I'm sure that it's true for all the rest of you, because you're still breathing. You're not there either. But it's not just for us as individuals. You see, we want to help individuals to grow because as individuals grow, it sort of brings up the temperature of the church, grows us as a church unto maturity. Because as Paul is saying, this isn't just the goal for individual Christians, this is the goal for the church as a whole to grow in unity and maturity in Christ. Because as the church matures, instead of just thinking about ourselves, instead of being inward focused and saying, well, I like this and I want this, it becomes, no, this isn't about me. This is all about Jesus. This is, we begin to look outward and say, there is a world that desperately needs the Savior. 
And so we begin to say, how do we take the good news of Jesus to them? Now let me be clear. You might be thinking, well, who needs this? Well, I can tell you I need this. My family needs this. Your elders need this. Your staff need this. All of you need this. We all need the ministry of the body of Christ for us to grow in maturity in Christ. Why? Well, notice verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You see, sin is deceptive. Our hearts are so easily led astray that we need one another. Otherwise, we're just going to be like unanchored rowboats out in the middle of a hurricane, just getting tossed to and fro all over the place. We need one another so that we don't get led astray. If we think that that's not the case, it's because we overestimate ourselves. I mean, think of Simon Peter. On the night Jesus was betrayed, what what did Peter do? He said, Lord, I'm never going to betray you. I don't know about you, but if Peter could fall into sin, I'm sure I can too. So I need brothers and sisters around me just like you do. And we grow up as we all proclaim the truth of Jesus to one another. As as Paul puts it in Colossians 1.28, what do we do? We proclaim the gospel. Him we proclaim. Warning or admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone mature in Christ. Now that's true for those who are leaders in the church, but it's not just for the leaders. Colossians 3 verse 15 Paul goes on to say of the whole congregation, he says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. You see, those same things that Paul was doing, admonishing and teaching, are the same things that the entire church is to do to one another. This is where it's important to recognize that that discipleship pathway that is on the front of the handout if you got it that, that's not ju- those aren't just words that's a map for how we grow into maturity it's a map for how we equip one another we gather together with one another we grow especially through community groups but we grow in our, in our walk with Christ together we Get involved, practicing, serving, obeying, and we go in missions, both to the ends of the world, but also locally to take the good news of Christ to those around us. This is how Jesus builds up the body of Christ unto maturity. And so Jesus gives each of us a gift or gifts. Jesus gives the church leaders to equip everyone for ministry. And the third truth that I see is that Jesus gives his church all that we need. For maturity. Verses 15 and 16, Paul says, rather than being led astray, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. 
from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The word grow could be used of uh, numerical growth, but in the context, he's probably talking about the growth that he just said in verse 13, growing into maturity. Well, how do we join with one another? How do we join Jesus in what he's doing to help the church grow to maturity? First, you speak the truth in love with one another. I'm sure you've had people you know in your past. I have. The truth for them is something to bludgeon someone with. If they get the opportunity, they're going to speak the truth, but it ain't in love. But the sort of love that Paul has in mind here isn't a, a sentimentality. It's not a getting warm and fuzzy feelings as we think about one another. That's not the biblical love he has in mind. No, we speak the truth, which is the gospel, to one another as we each have need for the good of the other person. We're to listen to one another, compassionately, patiently, and then we're able to speak the healing balm of the gospel to each other as each one has need. When somebody's going through tough times, we can bring the word of the gospel to them. When somebody is down in in their own guilt, we can remind one another, Jesus has already paid for that. When somebody's feeling shame, we can remember Jesus took our shame in his own naked flesh on the cross. We can remind one another we don't need to fear because Christ has overcome. We can speak the truth of the gospel to one another in love to help build each other up, reminding each other the promises of God are true and they are better than any of the promises of sin in the world. And so we speak the truth in love with one another. We also must rely on Jesus. You see, so often it's easy to just get caught up in serving in our own strength, but that's not what God would have for us. As Peter tells us, 1 Peter 4.11, if you're serving, you're to serve in the strength that God gives. Notice what Paul says here. Verse 15, he says, We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom... The whole body is equipped. If Christ is the one who equips us, then wouldn't Jesus in his love and grace toward us also empower us to serve? Wouldn't he be the one who would gladly be there for you to rely on rather than relying on your own strength? You know, isn't that what we need in ministry? You know, Paul, earlier in the Letter chapter 1, prayed for the Ephesians. Listen to what he prays for them in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. Praise that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Christ, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? 
What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? What might is Paul talking about? What power? The power that raised Jesus from the dead. Your ministry can be hard. Ministry often can be fearful. Christ gives us all that we need in himself. You know, when you're fearful when it comes to ministry, what do you need to remember? You need to be reminded of the hope that you have that Christ is in you and with you and he will work through you. You need to be reminded in those times when you're thinking, I have nothing to give That you have the power of the living God that raised Jesus from the dead. You have resurrection power strengthening you for what God calls you to do. When you are dealing with somebody difficult or or going in serving in Awana and the kids are especially rowdy that night, you need to be reminded of how Christ has loved you so that you can share that love with them as well. You need to be reminded of who you are because the reality is you will fail at times. You will fall flat on your face. But as you are reminded, you are a child of God. And he's not done with you yet. Our glorious Savior has so graciously given us all that we need in himself. When you minister, keep your eyes on Jesus. Rely on him. And then serve as God has gifted you, as Paul says here. In verse 16, Jesus has joined, the body is joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped when each part is working properly. That is, as Christ has gifted each of us. As we do that, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So because Jesus has uniquely gifted each of us, my call to you this morning, let's serve together as a body, as the body of Christ, to build up the church to maturity in Christ. However you serve, keeping in mind, remembering our mission. What is it? It is to proclaim the truth of Jesus and to grow maturing disciples of Jesus, all for the glory of God. Because as you keep the mission, the purpose in mind, Christ will work through you in ways that you could never possibly even imagine, to do more than you could ask or imagine. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning. I do pray for Bethel, she would be a church that you would be pleased to work through in mighty ways toward each other and in this community and to the ends of the earth. Thank you for the history, the the rich history this church has. I pray that her best days would be ahead of her because she would rely on you and see you work through us. Father, thank you for your word. We entrust the work to you and pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.